Morning. The sight of green grass, the smell of roasted peanuts, the sound of the roar of the crowd, it is officially time for baseball. And if you know baseball, then you know the little tune that was just playing. 1985, what a decade. Just saying, 1985, John Fogarty put me in coach. I love it. Now, don't confuse that with another baseball song that it, it typically gets a little more play in time. It, it almost happens every game, usually mid-seventh inning, right? The whole seventh inning stretch, there's another baseball song. You know what that one is? Yeah, take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. I don't care if I never get back. So let's root, root, root for the Royals. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's three strikes, you're out at the old ball. Yay. All right. Now, here, here is, I like that song, but here's my interpretation of that song. I want to sit in the crowd. I want to get everything I can get, right? Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. I'm content to stay here for the rest of my life, and I will just keep on cheering for the people who actually play the game. All right? Now, you contrast that with put me in, coach. I'm ready to play today. Look at me. I could be center field. I I'm saying it's just a better song, all right? It's a better song. I, I, I like Put Me In Coach. And honestly, that's why we're using it. That's the purpose of this series. That we would understand and then we would obey. That belonging in God's family is not about just sitting in the ballpark. And for the rest of our lives, cheering on those who play. Being in God's family is about being on the field, playing center field. My heart's desire has just always been, and I don't know how else to say this, and I hope you're not offended by it. My heart's desire has always been that we would just be a very simple church. I don't mean that in a degrading way. I just mean that we would never cloud what it means to be a church, that we wouldn't be so confusing with how we do things, that we would just be simple as a church. My, my heart's desire has always been that we would be very generous as a church, that we would always be a people who would want to give much more than, than we take. And my heart's desire is that as a church, we would always aggressively leverage all the days that God has given us to see his kingdom grow in the cities in which we live and to the ends of the earth. And that's why we are all the time asking the question, what can we do next? What do we need to do different? And I realize that drives some people crazy. It really does. 
Because we're always, what what do we need to do next? And what what could we do different? And it drives them crazy. In fact, for some people, they kind of take it personal, I think. Because when we're asking those questions, I think it sometimes can be interpreted that we must be doing something wrong. Like, no, that's not what we're saying. And then the response is usually, well, if it ain't broke, then don't fix it, right? But the question is, what if it can be done better than how we're actually doing it? What if there's something better, even if what we're currently doing is not broken? What if there's a better way to go after this? Because I'm saying the game to which we have been called to play, the mission to which we have been called to see fulfilled is worth asking those questions every day of our lives. And so, I want to spend some time with you in the book of Acts. If you would grab your Bibles and head toward the book of Acts, I want to do my best over the following weeks, and I'm, I'm not sure how long God's going to hold us here, but I want to show you, at least in part, what compels Heart of Life to want to do what we want to do. I want to show you how the church grows. I want to show you how the Holy Spirit moves, because that is what the book of Acts is all about, all right? So... I know we've already prayed, but I'm going to pray again because I just want us to be clear on what we're asking God to do in this series. God, through this series, would you change the song of our hearts? Move us from just being a take me out to the ballpark people and turn us into a put me in coach. And while you're at it, by your mighty power, we ask that you would raise the Kansas City Royals bats from the dead. (laughs) And all God's people said? I'm saying it doesn't hurt to ask, all right? Doesn't hurt to ask, because I I think it's going to take that level of intervention at this point. All right, Acts. Why don't we start with chapter 1? And why don't we start with verse 1? Acts, chapter 1. Verse 1, by the way, I wore my World Series champion shirt today because sometimes it's just important for you to be reminded who you really are. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book. Now, the writer of the book of Acts is a guy by the name of Luke. Um, I introduced you to him actually several weeks ago when we were looking at the Gospel of Luke, same writer, all right? So when he says in the former book, he's talking about the Gospel of Luke. So in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, everybody say Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, which is referring to the cross, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. 
So if you've never heard that, that's the timeline. All the, all the writers are consistent. Jesus dies. He, he rises on, on, on Sunday, and then he is with them for 40 days before he ascends to heaven. All right? Verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them. I like that. After the resurrection, Jesus is still eating. I think that's good news for heaven, in my opinion. All right? He was eating with them. He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now, what we're about to read, next verse, is what the book of Acts is about. What we're about to read, next verse, is the mission statement for the book. What we're about to read is the anchor that it must take hold and it keeps us from getting swept away in all the other stuff. This is it. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So Luke, from the beginning, says this is the mission statement. And when I read this this simple sentence, it it really does include a, a word about power, a word about purpose and a word about the plan. Now, that's really old school preaching. When you start lining up P's in your preaching, that's old school stuff. But you know what? It's really simple in this case. And it really is the way that I remember this most extraordinary verse, a power, a purpose, and a plan. Let me show you what I mean. Verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, let's talk Holy Spirit for a second. Um, Things get interesting when people start talking about the Holy Spirit because for some folks, it freaks them out, quite honestly. People get nervous when people start talking about the Holy Spirit. And I think the reason is, is because when the Holy Spirit shows up, stuff happens that you can't control. You can't control it in other people, I mean. When the Holy Spirit shows up, there's some things that tend to make us nervous because we can't explain it. There there are some things that happen that we wish we could kind of hem things back in. So we kind of rather talk about Father, Son, and Holy Word, right? Holy Spirit can make us nervous. He's like the wind. It's tough to wrangle that. 
Then on the other side, there are people who take the Holy Spirit and I think it, 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 they, they move him to a role that is beyond what is the accurate picture of his role within the Trinity. That we believe that God is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Spirit, three in one. But you hear some people talk about the Holy Spirit and it's almost like he's the only one, right? He's kind of the one that, that trumps above them all. Well. Neither one of those are, are the accurate picture of who he is. And I'm praying that throughout this book, the acts of the Holy Spirit really will show us some truth about who he is and what he does in our lives. Luke says back in verse 5, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, an imagery we just celebrated baptisms last week. He says you will be baptized though with the Holy Spirit. Hold that thought. At the end of Luke's gospel, this is the way he worded it in verse 49. He said, as he's telling the story, I, I'm going to send you, he's, Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power. That's the way he says it at the end of Luke, clothed with power. So baptized with the Holy Spirit, clothed with power. Let me give you this statement, and then we're going to unpack this a little bit. The Holy Spirit indwells and empowers those who have put their faith in Jesus. You need to know that. The Holy Spirit indwells and empowers those who have put their faith in Jesus. The Bible, I believe, is crystal clear. The Holy Spirit dwells in the family of God. He dwells in believers in Jesus. He makes his residence in us. Now, he's also the one who does the work of turning the light on, all right? He's the one who brings illumination. It's the Holy Spirit who's the one who turned on the truth in my heart that I need a Savior. And if you've come to that realization, he's the one who turned that light on in you too. And so he brings the realization, we need a Savior, and I'm saying, when we trust in him, if you are a Christian, then the Holy Spirit lives, dwells in you. And repeatedly in the book of Acts, the pattern that is seen is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is proclaimed, Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, third day arose, the Holy Spirit falls, and people are saved. That's the pattern over and over and over again. And so what Luke says is when we, when we trust in Jesus, when we receive him into our life, we are immersed, baptized fully by the Holy Spirit into Christ and into the family of God. That's what he does. And we are enveloped, we are clothed, into Christ and into his family, and with that comes power. Now, I want you to understand, when you believe, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and I believe, from what I read in Scripture, when that happens, I'm going to say, you get all of him. All of him. What I mean by that is, it's not that when I first trust in him, he gives me a little bit. And then as I walk it along and, you know, hopefully do my part, then I get a little bit more. 
And hopefully they'll be able to get a little bit more. No, when he comes to dwell in you, you get all of him. However, the Bible also teaches us that we are to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're told both of those things. Now, why would you keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit if, if he already fully lives within you? I mean, it's like, does he leak? Right? Does he leak? I, on my way here this morning, that little exclamation point with parentheses on the dash of my car lit up. It meant one of my tires is not at the level it should be. It's like, is that what happens with the Holy Spirit? Right? Walking along and all of a sudden, boop, we got a leak. And so we got to keep on being filled. What's that about? Well, Ephesians, I think, really gives us um, a, a, a really some clarity there. When Ephesians says, don't get drunk with wine. Instead, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine. Don't, don't, don't get to the point where you're allowing something like wine to control, influence you. Instead, you keep on being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Daily, daily, you should be living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Daily, you should get an LUI. Daily, living under the influence. Daily, how does that work? It means that I am continually leaning into him. I am continually listening for his guidance. I am continually listening for his direction. And then when I'm hearing, I trust it and I obey. I obey. You want to keep on being filled with the Spirit, that's how it takes place. You're leaning into Him, you're trusting, and then you continue to obey, and He gives you power to live. I, um, I once heard kind of an example, an illustration, if you will, that has really stuck with me about kind of what this life looks like as you're walking it out walking this life out with God, there is a happiness in him that exists because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Really. When the Holy Spirit dwells within you, there should be joy attached. Warning. You see somebody not joyous. The question is, what's going on? Because when Holy Spirit is indwelling and continually filling, there will be joy, even in the midst of struggle, all right? But the picture is there's happiness because he dwells within us. And so it's kind of this picture, and, and I love this when it happens at my house, that it's the picture of a, a child who is holding the hand of a father. So I'm holding his hand. And as we walk along, there's something that goes with walking along, holding the hand of your dad, that there is a, a safety in that. There is a security 
in that. Um, you're his. And, and there's just that peace that comes with knowing that to be the truth. And yet then there are those moments that the father sweeps up the child and he startles you when he does it. And the next thing you know, he has pulled you in and he's kissing you on the neck. And then he moves you out again and looks you in the eye and says something like, I'm so glad that you're mine. And then he embraces a child again before putting them back down and walking again. And I'm saying for me, I, that, that resonates with me. I get that. I, I get that. There are these moments of walking with God that you just get this overwhelming, blow the fuses of love in your heart moments. You know he's God. Sometimes it's because he's done something supernatural. He's come through in such a way, and you know that he's good, and there's just no doubt in you. Is every day like that for you? Because every day is not like that for me. Right? Because, I mean, there are some days that even though you know it, it's just, you wonder and you doubt about what's going on and trying to figure out what he's doing in this. And, and I'm, I just want you to know that yes, the Holy Spirit is connected, giving us power to at times see the supernatural happen in our lives. Miracles take place but he's also the power that on the days when the miracles aren't happening that he holds me to the truth that I belong now I love the supernatural don't get me wrong miracles are great but I want you to listen to what I'm about to say to you Miracles never anchor anyone to long-term faithfulness in following Jesus, ever. And if you don't believe me, I can give you a big old long list of proof from God's word. Miracles do not anchor anyone to long-term faithfulness in following Jesus. I'll just give you one example. You can walk through a sea on dry ground and days later throw all your jewelry in the fire and build a golden calf to worship instead of God. It's how we work. Miracles are not the anchor for long-term faithfulness in following Jesus. Jesus is the anchor. And his presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is that anchor that says you are filled. Now hear me, Acts is full of miracles. And as we make our way through some of this book, there are going to be signs and wonders that we see. Prophetic words, healing of the sick, raising of the dead. They are awesome. But please hear what I'm about to tell you. They are not the point of the book. 
They are not the point of the book. The point of the book is that the Holy Spirit empowers you, giving you power to walk out on a daily basis those day-to-day commands. I'm telling you this because some of you are worn out constantly looking for God to pull off the miracle in your favor. If you're not careful, you will spend your entire life trying to manipulate God to do the miracle that you want him to do. And I'm just reminding you today, you are not Aladdin. You are not Aladdin. You can trust him. And we'll talk about this in a minute. You can ask for miracles. You really can. But be careful about anchoring your faith to the miracles that God will do. He is power. He is power. For what purpose? Let's keep reading. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You're going to testify to who I am, Because listen to me, most of the people that you will come in contact this week are walking in this life without a hand to hold. They're walking in this life without a hand to hold. Let me show you some things here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to clarify something on this verse. Here's what I want you to know. I don't think Paul's just talking about words here. When he says, nobody can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit, I don't think he's just talking about somebody saying words. Because I believe the most wicked person on the face of the earth could say those three words. They could verbalize it. They could actually open their mouths and say, Jesus is Lord. They could say it. But no one without the Holy Spirit can live a life that shows Jesus is Lord. And I think that's what he's saying here. Nobody without the Holy Spirit can live a life that declares Jesus is Lord. So let me give you, let me give you a, a second statement here. The Holy Spirit sets me up as a witness. A witness to how life is lived because Jesus is Lord. Now, how I am to live is to be in a direct contradiction to the world because Jesus is Lord. Here's what I mean. There are things that I do because Jesus is Lord. There are things I don't do because Jesus is Lord. You see what I'm saying? There are places I go because Jesus is Lord. Honestly, I only go there because he's Lord, to be truthful. There are also places I will not go because Jesus is Lord. There are ways that I spend my money 
because Jesus is Lord. There are ways that I will not spend my money because Jesus is Lord. There are ways that I think because Jesus is Lord. There are ways that I don't think. I fight against thinking because Jesus is Lord. But what I want you to see today is it is the Holy Spirit inside of you that does that work. He sets you up for the wisdom of God that you can live your life in a way that declares this is what it means to live with Jesus as your king. That's what the Holy Spirit does for you. And so, how are we to do that, though? How, how are we to be witnesses under the power of the Holy Spirit? We confess it with our lives. That's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit empowers you to confess it with your life. Then you need to know this truth. The Holy Spirit gifts us to do ministry like Jesus. The Holy Spirit gifts us to do ministry like Jesus. Check out this verse, John 14, 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, here's my question. Does that mean that tomorrow morning you can walk into work or you can walk into school and you could take your lunch and break it and bless it and feed the whole complex with whatever's in your lunch bag. I mean, he said greater things than these, right? Does this mean that the next time you stroll into a funeral, you, you, could, you could just do this? Hold on, on. She's just sleeping. Get up. You could try the first one if you want to tomorrow. I would recommend you don't try the second one ever. Well, what, what, is, what does that mean? Here's what he's saying. When you read the context of John, here's what I want you to see. The ministry that Jesus did, which so confounded people's minds. I mean, he totally messed them up all the time because he's always hanging out with the wrong people. He's always hanging out in, in the wrong spots, wrong people. He's talking to the wrong people. He's eating with the wrong people. It so confounded them. That ministry will be our ministry, especially when we engage to the least of these. That's the context of what he says here. When we are alongside the poor, when we are alongside the sick, and we're allowing our life to be wrung out for those who have been pushed away by the rest of the world, listen to me, that's where you step on the field. That's where we love. That's where we invite into our homes. This is how the ministry of Jesus is multiplied. Now, again, I'm afraid you're going to walk out today and think, Jeff doesn't believe in miracles. No, I do. I do. And I promise you, I, on a regular basis, am praying for healing in people's lives, for example, all the time. Somebody comes to me and says, I, 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 I'm, here's, my, here's what I'm going through and I'm sick. I absolutely, every time, approach that understanding that God tells me to ask for healing. Expecting that he can. And knowing that his will will be done whether or not I actually put the tagline in my prayer or not. I don't have to say your will be done. His will is going to be done. But I pray it 
And I expect it. And sometimes we see it happen. I'm just saying that's not the context of this verse. When he says you're going to do greater things, he's saying in the context of loving the least of these, just like Jesus did, when we together step onto the field in the power of the Holy Spirit, that will be multiplied. That will be multiplied. And see, here's, here's the struggle with this kind of stuff. We go, oh, I just wanted to do miracles. I was hoping that verse meant that I could do bigger miracles than Jesus. No, it means you can love like he loved. And together it be multiplied to an extent that is beyond your imagination. Let me give you one more statement here. The Holy Spirit will remind us of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will remind us of Jesus. John 14, verse 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. I need to be reminded often that Jesus is my treasure. Because if I don't, I get messed up. I need to be reminded over and over and over that he is better, period. However you finish the sentence, he's better. Over and over and over, I need to be reminded that he's the goal. Over and over, I need to be reminded that he is the greatest treasure. Because you see, the pattern of my life is often God compelling me toward things that don't necessarily make sense in regards to treasure. I think back through my life, I think about God, you know, getting me through college, excited about where all that was going to go. I was um, interviewing different companies, um, including the Federal Reserve here in Kansas City. Had a couple of meetings with the Federal Reserve here in Kansas City. I'm excited about getting a job in God. God confronted me in a vault, standing in front of a safe, where I was holding stuff in my hands that was worth more than I would make in many years of, of, of salary. And through that whole moment, God really did, um, God really did speak into my life in a way that I knew he was calling me to ministry. We quickly transitioned from you know, an excitement of a job with the Federal Reserve or wherever else it was going to be, to Jen and I sitting on a seminary campus splitting a can of ravioli. Splitting a can of ravioli. Because you got to like, you got to spread that stuff out so you got enough to make it through. I think about 
It took me a long time to ever reach a salary level that matched what I would have started with way back there in the beginning. I think about some of the church moves. I'm thankful that there haven't been that many for me, but even the move to here, um, it's been long enough that I can say it now, and the folks who were involved in that whole process, they kind of used to get embarrassed, but they, there's no need to get embarrassed because they, they quickly adjusted. But to be honest with you, I knew and accepted that God was calling me here knowing that I was going to make less money here than I was where I came from. And I'm telling you that, um, and again, they quickly adjusted. It's like they found out. They found out, some, and then they, they adjusted, and it was all good. You guys have been better to me than any way I could ever explain, but here's why I'm telling you this. I had smart business people who I would consider to be godly people tell me, don't go there. That's foolish. If that's what it's going to be, you don't need to expect that that's how God does it. And I'm saying they were wrong. They were wrong. I think about God saying, as my kids are like grown and about gone, it's like, let's go after adopting this little dude who's 10 days old from Taiwan. And yesterday, I found myself in my basement going through some other stuff, and I came upon this box. It's about this wide, and it's about this deep, and as I opened it, it's just jammed with papers, forms, receipts, contracts, court documents. It, it's this big. It's like how almost impossible that whole deal was and God said, go for it. It's like, how old am I? How old am I? And I'm just telling you that there are lots of those moments in my life where I need to be reminded by the Holy Spirit that the treasure in all of this is Christ. It's not a paycheck. It's not crowds, it's Christ. And I need to be reminded often that success in the moment, success in the circumstance is not the validation of obedience. Because <laughs> sometimes you will obey and the result makes people look at it and go, well, that was a failure. I I'm telling you, it can be less money and it can be smaller crowds but if there is more of Jesus, that's a win. And we like hearing that on a Sunday, but nobody likes walking through that one in life. Whatever that translates to in your world, less money, less crowd, whatever it is, and more of Jesus, that's not a loss. That's a win. But I'm telling you, I need to be constantly reminded that by the Spirit of God because most people in this world don't evaluate it that way. That's not how they measure success. I honestly needed to be reminded today so that I didn't walk out here and shrink back in fear of some of the things that you needed to hear today because of my desire for approval from you. 
I need the Holy Spirit to constantly remind me that Jesus is who I need, that Jesus validates me, that he is my all. And so do you. It was February of last year that at the conclusion of a service, she met me right over here, and she simply said to me, will you pray for God's will in my life? Sure. And so I did. Days later, she was in the hospital, and she didn't get out for three months. And to this day, still struggles physically with sickness. As she's telling me this story, my head is slowly going down like, I'm sorry, I should have prayed better. I should have done better, right? Will you pray for God's will in my life? And she looked me in the eye Friday night and said to me, that answered prayer saved my life. And I said, what do you mean? She said, my whole life, I said that I loved Jesus, but my true treasure was my job, and it was my family, and you could probably stack some other things in there, and I said I loved Jesus, but the truth of the matter was, I only made room for him when there was room for him, when all the other stuff was done. She said, but spending three months in a hospital and then being, I I get out and I can't even hold a job, I have discovered in all of this time that when all of that was removed, all I have now is Jesus and what I've discovered is he is all I need. He really is the greatest treasure and I am grateful for what I have walked through in this year because if I was still in the same circumstance that I was last year when I asked you to pray that prayer, I would still be playing games with God and she's crying and she's hugging me and she's thanking me because I prayed and she lost everything but found Jesus I'm saying if the Holy Spirit doesn't remind us of that often we will walk the same old path that the rest of the world walks And if we don't remind each other of that often, we will walk the same old path that the world walks. How do we become witnesses under the power of the Holy Spirit? We confess with our lives that Jesus is Lord. We do ministry as Jesus did by walking and loving the least of these. And we are constantly remind us that he is our greatest treasure. And then I'll just end the verse. And this is what we will be talking about in the weeks to come. The plan. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We'll start with Jerusalem. Um, That's where he started. And then the Holy Spirit moved them out. He moved them to Judea. Then he moved them to Samaria, which was a people they did not like, by the way. So just warning, warning. He moved them to a people that they did not like. Who did? Holy Spirit did. Holy Spirit did. And then to the ends of the earth, which, by by the way, when those words were first spoken in Jerusalem, guess who the ends of the earth were? Us. Listen to me. Nothing has changed. 
Nothing has changed in that the power and the purpose and the plan was given to them. And you know what? The power and the purpose and the plan is given to us. And so where we are and where God will lead us, what he calls us to is walk that out with open hands. Open hands, believing that God is for God, and that means that he's going to come through. He's going to grow his kingdom. He's going to use his church. Along the way, there are going to be some gospel goodbyes because God calls people out. And there will be steps that seem strange. But guys, we have to. We have to, the longer we spend together, we cannot tighten our grip on what is ours and play it safe. When I was in my 20s, I really wasn't afraid of too much, to be honest. Um, In terms of, it's like, hey, let's do that. Okay, let's try that. Okay, let's jump off that. Okay, right? In your 20s, you're not too scared of that stuff because it's like even if something like gets hurt or break, it's like you're like Wolverine. It'll grow back, right? I mean, it's like, it's like you're not too afraid of that stuff. It's like quickly, it quickly tends to come back. But in my 40s, that kind of has changed. And as I'm approaching the half a century mark, I woke up this morning and my, my ankle hurt. I'm like, oh. That must have happened when I carried the meat from the grill last night into the house. It's like, what is that? And so you know what? The older I've gotten, I will think twice about some of the moves that I would have been willing to go for back in my 20s. And I'm going to say, maybe there's some wisdom in that. We're going to call it wisdom that, that physically... But I want you to know there is never wisdom in it spiritually. And we must continue to risk. In the Bible, it's spelled F-A-I-T-H. Risk. To where we walk with open hands and we trust the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I can't think of one single time that we took what we considered to be a risky step and that God didn't come through. I got nothing. Now there were some times that it didn't actually turn out the way we thought it would turn out. Right? Because we had this picture of God saying, take this step as a church, and, and if we do it, then this is, the, and it was like, it didn't actually happen that way, but he came through. He came through. Now, I just want to, I'm going to be really frank, um, and I'm only being frank because I have been your pastor for this long. We have operated for years and years here where we have worked really hard to always, by the end of the year, make sure that we spent less than we took in. And doing that, God has enabled us to do stuff that makes absolutely no sense that we had the resources to do it. 
There were times he called us to do things in the middle, of, and we were like, are we going to have enough? It, are, are we, are we, are we going to have enough? Is this, and I'm telling you, every single time God has come through. But I'm going to tell you, um, you are awful givers. Terrible at it. And if I hadn't been your pastor for as long as I've been your pastor, you might have interpreted what I just said as I don't love you. Don't. Because if that's what I meant, I'd have been gone a long time ago. You are terrible givers does not translate to I don't love you. It translates to some of that's on me because I haven't taught us well enough to really understand what generosity is about and how that's supposed to work in our lives, people who are filled with the Spirit of God and called to an extraordinary mission. You see, we continue to operate where about one-third of everybody that gathers with Heart of Life, one-third actually practices a generosity of at least a tithe. One-third. And yet God has blessed us continually to be able to do enough in every time he calls us to do something. It's like, well, how could that be? How, how could that happen? And this is why I think it happens. Because God has honored a fraction of this body who have continually said with their lives, we really do trust you with everything we've got, God. We want your name to be known and loved. So how do you want us to push forward? We let go of our money and we give so that the mission can be fulfilled. We let go of our children. Woo! And we let them go as you are calling them to go. Now I'm telling you, I don't know two more hot, hotter buttons in people's lives because for many people, we treasure our money or we treasure our children more than we treasure God. And I guarantee you, if it hasn't already happened, it will leave you miserable because neither your money nor your children will make a good God. Neither one. But I'm telling you, there has always been a group of people who have leveraged their lives and they have given of their resources and they have given of their children, they have given of everything that God said, go. And as a result, he is blessed. I'm saying, what would happen? What would happen if together we began to say, God, lead us? No, really. God, lead us. God, give us leaders that will see this place like a battleship and not a cruise ship. That we don't just come here and sit and say, what can I get? Not always looking inward, but looking outward to the mission you've called us to that we might not miss a significant move of the Holy Spirit of God. I want you to watch something as we close today. It's called Why Pray. And it was something that we actually um, used as a part of life teams over the last week or so. So some of you might have seen it, but it was so good. It's like, we need to see this. I'm convinced that you could substitute Why Pray with Why Give or Why Serve or Why Study Your Bible. I think you could just plug in Why why? 
And I think it just nails the answer. You watch it, and then I'll pray. I'm going to pray. I would only encourage you after that, campus pastor is going to share just a couple more announcements with you. We're going to be right over there when we're done. If, uh, if anybody's wanting to go to the hospital for a couple months, come over there. I'll pray God's will for your life. <laughs> or maybe you're here today and um, you've never, ever trusted Jesus. Ever. I'd love to visit with you. Love to talk to you. We'll be right over there afterwards. There'll be several of us over there. Um, feel free to talk with any. We'd be honored to meet with you. Let's pray. God, I, uh, I watched that little video. I, I, just, uh, I think it's so just dead on. God, when our lives are not connected to the mission that you've called us to, when we are sitting in the stands instead of playing on the field, then we really only need prayer in those moments that we need, we need our Cracker Jacks delivered. And God, the same could be true of why we don't see a need to dig into your word. The same could be true of why we wouldn't serve the least of these. The same would be true of why we wouldn't give of our resources. And so God, I'm asking that you would awaken your church to the truth of who they really are are in you. And God, I'm just so trusting, because you know today, God, I, I, so much fear in my heart that people would interpret, God, some of the things that I've said today, like I don't love them, and you know, you know that's not the case. And I'm trusting that by your spirit, God, you would help us to see truth from your word. God, may our lives confess that Jesus is Lord, not just a few words that we can say. And God, will you call us together to a ministry of doing what, what Jesus did, walking along, loving the least of these? And then would you constantly remind us, you are our treasure. God, help us to be faithful this week, reminding one another that you are our treasure. And even in the moments where it feels like all the other numbers that get evaluated in terms of our lives, what we do, how we measure success, it just comes down to you are our treasure. God, thanks for what you have begun to spoken, speak into our lives today. I'm asking God that in the weeks that follow, give us understanding from your word and may your people begin to walk in the power of your spirit. It's in the great name of Jesus that I pray today. Amen. Love you guys.